name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. On the third Sunday in Advent, and really also on the fourth Sunday, the focus is on John the Baptist. <clears throat> he prepared the way for Christ by calling people to repent. St. Mark describes the ministry of John the Baptist this way, <clears throat> quote, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And they went out unto him all the land of Judea and of Jerusalem and were all baptized by John in Jordan, confessing their sins. John preached in the wilderness or desert. This is curious. In our day, when people want to tell others to repent, they typically choose a, a crowded public venue. From time to time, we go to some you know, popular event. You'll see some crazy guy with signs telling you the world's going to come to an end, saying it's time to repent. Evangelistic organizations tend to rent large stadiums in big cities to facilitate repentance by large crowds. But John preached in the desert. Of course, John preached in the wilderness or desert to fulfill prophecy. You can't fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah calling you the voice crying in the wilderness unless you're actually in the wilderness. But he may have been slaughtered for wilderness preaching because there was something more to the remote location. Mark tells us that all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem went out to him. The travel distances required by all these people who went out to him probably ranged from a mile or two for those close, maybe to 15, 20 miles and more for those who had to go a longer distance. And, of course, it was all on foot. It took effort to go uh, hear what John had to say. You had to really want to be there. John was going to tell you that you had to change the way you were living, but you had to change some things about how you were living just to go hear John in the first place. This highlights one problem we have in processing the call to repent. We come to church on Sunday and hear the message of John enshrined in our liturgy. Ye who do truly and earnestly repent, draw near with faith. But we hear this call in the midst of our routines of life. Tomorrow and the next week, we will be in the same places, seeing the same people and facing the same temptations. Our disordered habits of thought, word, and deed are hard to break, and new habits are hard to develop while we remain in the same places, practicing the same patterns of life that produce them or the lack of them in the first place. 
the people who went out to John had to leave their routines and go to a remote place. Then they had to submit to a ritual of baptism. Then they had to change. John made one thing abundantly clear. It wasn't enough simply to make the effort to travel to see him or even to be baptized by him. One actually had to change the way one lived. John saw some of the religious leaders coming out to his baptism, and some of them were even baptized. John was not at all impressed by their efforts. He said, quote, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Not exactly a nice contemporary sermon. But this is a framework for our own repentance. We need to step away from our own routines of life in order to change them. We must realize that we will not be saved by our family name or our long tradition of church attendance. We must actually begin to do the things God wants us to do. One, people, one problem people have with repentance is that the nature of sin is frequently misunderstood. Many of the sins we confess are really symptoms of the larger disease. For example, as we get caught up in the haste and competition of life, we may fall into the sin of anger. We may therefore think that anger is a sin we need to confess when we come to the liturgy, and that may be the focus of our spiritual life. However, anger is often merely the symptom of a chaotic pattern of life or a lack of prayerfulness. Or it may be the result of our failure to forgive someone who's hurt us. If we continually confess our anger, but do not deal with these larger root causes of it, we will not make much progress against that deadly sin. It will be like treating the discomfort caused by a tumor merely by taking painkillers. Ultimately, the root cause of our sin is separation from God. When we are not filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we are empty and needy. And we fill that emptiness and neediness through people and things. Sometimes the things are a partial success. We become prideful. However, since pride is never fully content, we become envious, covetous, and jealous. When things fail to satisfy us, we get angry and impatient. Or we get lustful and gluttonous, thinking that if only we had more, then we would be happy. 
or we get listless and despairing and begin to lose our appetite for the things. The answer to our emptiness is Christ. As the epistle to the Ephesians says, quote, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of God which passes knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. And this is what John preached. He preached that people should repent in order to be prepared to receive the one who was coming after him who would fill them. Now this can sound simplistic as if we were saying all you need to do is believe in Jesus Christ and all your problems will be solved. And it may in fact be that simple if our faith were perfect, if we were able to completely submit ourselves to the will of God without any lingering seed of doubt or rebellion. Perhaps in the words of the hymn, quote, our lives would be all sunshine in the sweetness of the Lord. But of course, our faith is not perfect and our submission is not complete. Consequently, we must engage in this thing called the life of prayer in which we wrestle against the temptations presented to us by the world, the flesh, and the devil, using the weapons of spiritual warfare that we are given in Christ. We must work at becoming the people God wants us to be. This is why we put such emphasis on the life of prayer lived out in the community of the church. Jesus fills us with himself through the Spirit, chiefly in three ways. The sacraments, prayer, and the presence of other members of the body of Christ who minister to us with their gifts. It follows that if we want to be increasingly filled with all the fullness of God in Christ through the Spirit, we must commit ourselves to a pattern of life in which we habitually receive the sacraments, constantly pray, and meaningfully interact with others in the body of Christ. Without consistent spiritual disciplines that open our lives up to the grace of God, we have no ability to grow in grace and in the image of Christ. That is to say, without disciplines that fill our lives with grace, we have no ability to live faithfully. We are saved, as the epistle to the Ephesians tells us, by grace, through faith. But this salvation is experienced not just at some past moment, not just when we were baptized, or when we first 
came to faith. Salvation by grace through faith is experienced continually. We are continually saved from the influence of sin by the continual experience of God's grace. And we receive this grace as we continually trust or depend upon God through the life of prayer. Consequently, repentance requires more than merely a list of sins to confess and work on. Acts of sin are symptoms of a life not lived in communion with God. To repent, we must change our manner of life. And this is a harder task. This is why it is so tempting to make the Christian life all about micromanaging sin rather than pursuing union with God. This is why it is tempting to make the Christian life about not being bad rather than about pursuing holiness. John baptized in the wilderness. Those who were changed by his ministry went out to meet him and were changed by his preaching and went back to live life in a new way. If we want to heed the call to repent, it is necessary for us to step away from our regular habits and patterns in order to reassess them and begin to change them where changes need to be made. The central question of repentance is not whether we can come up with an adequate list of our sins. The central question is, are we living a life of prayer with the worship of God as the centerpiece with habits of prayer and Bible reading as our daily bread, and with significant connection to other members of the body of Christ. Holiness is the long-term fruit of this manner of life, just as sin is the fruit of life lived apart from God. In the words of John the Baptist, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.